We thank you so much that you are a God of creativity. You are a God of grace, and um, you love to bring new things out of, out of old things. And uh, you make beautiful things out of the dust. And so we're grateful for that. Teach us what it means to be a people who are just like you, creative people. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to share with you perhaps one of the most strange stories in all of Scripture. Now, there's many, many, many strange stories in the Bible. I mean, we could go down the line. I think I shared with you a few weeks ago that I read through the Bible in 30 days a couple years ago, and the big idea that I got was this thing is really weird, this book. And like... (laughs) When you read it that quickly, you're just like taking it all in and you're just like, man, how does that fit into a box that I have had before? Like, it's hard to to figure some of these things out. And that gives me a lot of humility. But this story, at the risk of exaggerating, is a really weird story. And surprisingly, it comes to us in the New Testament. A lot of the strange stories that I've encountered, and probably you as well, take place in the Old Testament. like Because the farther back you go, the farther back we go into the, the development of the world, and it's just a different time and era. This story takes place in the New Testament with the Apostle Paul. We've talked a lot about the Apostle Paul. He was, as I've mentioned before, probably the most, outside of Jesus, the most influential person when it came to the spread of Christianity. If it wasn't for Paul, we may not be here today. So Paul would go around to different places in Palestine, the Middle East, and Asia, and Europe, and he would share the message of Jesus' messiahship. He would share the message that, that Jesus was God's promised one. And what would happen is these little communities would, would, would pop up after Paul was there, We've gone over this before, but it's just good to review. But what happened is there became this conflict that arose between Jews and non-Jews because Paul was going out and sharing this message with non-Jews. You see, the Jews thought and believed, rightfully so, that they were God's chosen people. But what happened was is they misunderstood why they were chosen and how they were chosen and what was the sign of their chosenness. And so one of those key elements of the Jewish perspective on their chosenness was something called, are you ready for it? Do you know what it is? Circumcision. What a, what a weird thing to, to believe is the sign of your chosenness. But it was, there was some basis for it in the Old Testament. God called Abraham when he promised him that he would make of him a great nation. He called Abraham out and he enacted this idea of circumcision. I don't have to go into the ins and outs of what that is, right? I won't go into the ins and outs of that. Spare the children. Well, that's why we've asked them to leave this morning. (laughs) You see, what happens is... No, I'm just kidding. Um, So this was the sign, the Jewish sign of circumcision was the sign of their chosenness. And what happened was when Paul and others went to the non-Jews and they told them about the 
beautiful news, the gospel of Jesus and how he was God in the flesh and how he had come to redeem not only the Jewish people but came to redeem the world, what happened was there was this question that came up in people's minds and that was, huh, does that mean these non-Jews, when they become a part of this movement, do they have to become, what? Circumcised. Now, I don't want to get too far afield here, but I was just talking this week with one of my friends who's Jewish, and we were talking about how Christianity and Judaism are not necessarily two different religions. In fact, early on in the development of Christianity, Christianity was a sect of Judaism. And so what we might say is that there were two competing versions of the Jewish faith. One of them was what is known as Rabbinic Judaism. The other one is known, as I was calling it this week, Messianic Judaism, that Jesus was the Messiah. And so there is these two competing claims. But this became a huge issue. Do people, do non-Jews who become a part of this movement, do they need to get circumcised? And guess what Paul's big answer was? You know what it was. His answer was an emphatic what? No! They don't need to get circumcised. And one of the the reasons that he said that was because he pointed back to Abraham, the great father of the faith. And repeatedly throughout Paul's letters, he noted that it says that Abraham did what? He believed in the Lord and God accounted it to him as righteousness. And, And Paul says, and guess when this happened? It happened before Abraham was circumcised. And so his argument is that, no, you don't have to be circumcised to be a part of God's chosen. You are God's chosen on the basis of faith. But you know what? Do you think this sat well with the Jewish people? They did not appreciate it. And so Paul has to sort through this issue. And he writes his very first letter that we have, he writes it to the believers in Galatia. And he's addressing this concern. He's addressing this issue. And apparently what was happening is they were insisting that the non-Jews, when they became followers of Jesus, had to get circumcised. And Paul says, no, 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 that's not true. Now check out what happens, because here's where the really strange thing comes into play. Are you ready for this? Are you guys ready for this? All right? Check this out. Paul's writing to the Galatians, and he says... And they, now what he's recounting here is Paul went up to Jerusalem to get, a, get, a, get a, a advice from the, the real leaders in Jerusalem. And he said, and they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. In other words, what he's saying is, when I went to Jerusalem and I shared with them what was going on, they said, no, 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 you don't have to make Gentiles or non-Jews become circumcised. And here's your buddy Titus, who was a non-Jew. He can minister with you and you don't even have to make sure he's circumcised. So Paul's like, I have, I have the authority to not insist that he becomes circumcised. Now check out what happens next. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there. He's talking about people in Jerusalem. False ones, really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. What is he talking about there? 
what is he talking about there? You see, what was going on is they insisted, the Jews insisted that everyone be circumcised. Well, let me ask you a question. How would you know? <laughs> How would you know? Right? <laughs> Especially in that culture. So what Paul is saying is these, these Jewish believers were so worried that people weren't getting circumcised and wanting to make sure that they were, that they sent people in, wherever that was, to spy to see if they were getting circumcised. You talk about a level of insecurity and control and a level of curiosity. Maybe that's not the right word. But they were so intent on making sure people were following the rules. They were so eager to determine if everyone was towing the line. Now, some have speculated whether they literally were doing that or not doing that, but we can surmise that maybe that was a part of their spying. And so Paul says, they sent spies in here to check on to see if we were getting circumcised. He goes on to say, they wanted to enslave us and focus, force us to follow their regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Because what was going on in Galatia is they were having this debate. They were having this argument. Do you have to get circumcised, not get circumcised? Originally, when Paul was there, he was proclaiming the good news that God's love for you does not require that you do certain things for his approval and acceptance. So that you don't have to be following the rules just to be a part of his people. And Paul says, no, 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 we were so eager that you don't get caught up in that, that we made sure we did not budge for one moment. We will not be brought under, as the Apostle Peter said, we will not be brought under a yoke of bondage. You see, what happens is, and this is, this is the launching point for this idea of our value of creativity. This is one of our core values, our fourth value, our fourth of four values, that Legalism requires control and uniformity. The gospel promotes creativity, diversity, and freedom. You see, when, 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 when we are living by a legal religion, a legal religion is the act of seeking to curry favor with God or with another person by the things that we do. And when we're, we're trying to, to get others to approve of us, that's what happens mostly, I think I've shared before. I don't often sit there and think to myself, oh man, I'm trying to get God to love me. What I want to do is get Aaron to love me or to get James to love me. I'm trying to gain their approval. This is what happened in that context as well in the, in the times of Paul. They were so worried about what other people were, talking, were, were thinking and talking about. And so legalism requires us to be uniform, to be, to be all the same, to have this, this, this uniformity and control. But the gospel brings us freedom. The gospel does not require us to all look the same and act the same and be the same. I love this idea from a friend of mine, and I know I refer to him frequently, but he and I are so such kindred theological spirits. This is from Ty Gibson. He says, if a person's heart is void of the gospel of God's justifying grace, 
their security with God will be threatened by the freedom others have in Christ. So if I think that it's what I do that that earns my favor with God, if you come along and you don't do that, what does that do for my own security? It's like, oh, wait a minute, that person is, is living a free life? What does that say about the things I think garner my, my security in Jesus? He goes on to say, if anyone is allowed to do anything that is outside of the narrow system of restrictions they have set up for themselves, the fundamental basis of their salvation is shaken. Thus they feel compelled to pare down everything to their particular style of labor and forbid everything else. This is simply the outworking of their theology. They think that there is one style by which the mission of the church is to be executed, and it just happens to be their particular style. Because their standing with God is built on the fragile foundation of their performance. In other words, check this out. In other words, the inclination to control others is inherent to the salvation by works paradigm. Are you following that? So when you and I are living, not by the gospel, but when we're living by, I got to perform perfectly. I got to measure up. I got to do exactly as, you know, God tells me exactly. I got to have it. completely straight. You know, some of us work on the paradigm that God is a micromanager. Like God wants to micromanage every little thing we do and you better do this or else. But you know what? When When the scribe came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus boiled it down to just two things. You see, the deeper we go into God's heart, the deeper we experience his love, we realize that there is great freedom and in, in his approach. There is great freedom in how he invites us to operate. Now, this does not mean, please don't misunderstand me, that this, this does not mean that God doesn't have boundaries. It doesn't mean that we as God's people don't have boundaries. But as I've mentioned in the past here, we want to we we hold many things with open hands. You see, Scripture has, have you heard of these things called the ten commandments. You familiar with those those 10 commandments? Some of us want there to be 500 commandments. Some of us want there to be 6 million commandments. Some of us think that every little thing in life needs to be governed and regulated and we all need to look exactly alike. We all need to dress exactly alike. We all need to, to think exactly alike. We all need to like the same music. We all need to like the same food. We all need to like the same clothes. And God says, no, I am a God of freedom. I am a God of creativity. I'm a God of diversity. There's a reason why God created all the different animals in the beginning, because he loves the diversity that his grace and his love brings. You know, Paul goes on to say, when he's talking to those Galatians, he goes on to say in Galatians 2 verse 16, we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the basis of our security, is is responding to God with our hearts. Not by obeying the law. Now, Paul anticipates the question that often comes up in all of our minds. He doesn't address it right here, but in other places he does. People say, well, does that mean that I can just do whatever I want? And Paul says, check this out. It's not that you just do whatever you want. It's that when you're you're grounded in my love, when you're living by faith, you're going to want to do what I want to have happen. You're going to want to follow my ways. And again, not that God's trying to micromanage us, but we, we want to do his will. He goes on to say, and we have believed in Christ Jesus 
so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So you and I, we have that that freedom and that security in Jesus. We no longer seek to control other people because God is not a micromanaging control freak with us. God is not trying to micromanage every little thing we do. And he approves us, he approves of us, apart from our performance. We are brought into the family of God not because we're towing the line, not because we're measuring up, not because we're doing everything exactly as we should. We are brought into the family of God because we are responding to his love with our hearts. And that is so incredibly liberating. I now stop trying to micromanage everybody else. So when we were meeting as a church, as we were going over our values, what we what we came to the conviction of was that we are going to be a church that does not major in minors. We're going to be a church that is theologically generous. We'll look at that here in a second. But Paul says elsewhere, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, check this out, it's so beautiful. Wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is freedom. The, the journey with Jesus should be one of great freedom and joy, should be one of great celebration, because we know that we have the freedom in Jesus, that he has made us free. If the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed, is what Jesus said elsewhere. And so you and I live a free life. We live a liberated life. We have articulated it this way with our church. I'll come back to this quote in a second. We strive to be a community where everyone utilizes her or his gifts to creatively build up the kingdom and bless the body. Check out this quote here. I just breezed by it for a second. But notice what Jeff Vanderstelt says. Those of us who are in Christ should be the most creative people. We as Christians should be, should be just the, the creators of such beautiful art such beautiful expressions of creativity because God has set us free from trying to get the approval of other people. He goes on to say, because we have been freed from enslavement to the approval of others and we are also daily becoming more like our creator. I can testify that in my own life as a creative person, and I don't know what, what you know, like take a class in order to be called a creative person or what, but I consider myself to be a creative person. There's been many times in my life, most of my life, where I will create something, and Camille can tell you this, I don't want anyone to know about it until I'm done with it. Like, I'm not asking for your input in it. I'm not saying, hey, can you review this? Like, read this, read this article that I've written before. I just want to publish it, and like, I'll just deal with whatever comes after that. But the reason is, is because I don't want you to criticize what I've put my heart and soul into. Anyone else identify with that? But I'm learning to have freedom in Jesus because my value does not come in you saying, that's a really good piece of art you just created. My freedom is in Jesus. And so I can, I can freely create without fear of, of disapproval, without fear of criticism, because my value comes in Jesus. And so we should just be the most creative people there are as, as God's people. He goes on to say, Because he has restored and is restoring us. 
we also are able to bring restoration to things broken, distorted, or marred by sin. So you and I are called by God's grace to be the most creative people in the world as we go out and we, we bring life to, to where there has been death, as we, as we bring newness to things that are old. And so we, we as a, a, a church family, we value that. And we want, it, we want you to be utilizing your gifts, whatever those are, to creatively build up God's kingdom. As, as I hinted at before, the second bullet point there, we aim to be a church sold out to the beautiful picture of God that classic Adventist theology presents, and thus acts with theological generosity toward all, refusing to major in minors. You know, when we were thinking about articulating this initially, when I, when I came up with an initial draft, I had originally written that we aim to be a part of a... Uh, sorry, whoops, going the wrong way. We aim to be a church sold out to the beautiful picture of God that classic Adventist theology presents, but acts with theological generosity towards all refusing the major and minors. Do you see the difference in what I said? That's as if to say, even though we're committed to Adventist theology, I guess we're going to be kind to other people. No! It's precisely because we have this beautiful understanding of the gospel via our particular denominational theological paradigm. It's precisely because of that that we are generous to other people. So that if you come into this room and you say to any one of us, you know, I saw this idea in scripture, and even if it's the most off-the-wall thing, I'm not going to laugh you out of the room because God is generous with me. And, and we're going to go over this going forward, because starting next week, here's a little advertisement, starting next week, we're going we're gonna to look at this beautiful picture of Adventist theology, just five, it's going to be like the abridged version of Adventism, okay? So starting next week, we're going to unpack that a little bit more. But like, part of the beautiful understanding of Adventist theology is that, that we can be generous with other people, because we understand that there is more to learn. Like, as I said the other day, I tweeted this out, if, if we think we have it all figured out now already, eternity is going to be really long and boring. It's going to be really long and boring. No, no, we got it all figured out. We, there's nothing more to learn. There's nothing more to learn. Boy, what are we going to be doing for, like, infinity years, right? Like, yeah, I guess we're going to have a good time you know, talking to each other and sliding down giraffes necks. Like, that's what we're going to do, right? That's what we were told. <laughs> Which I hope we do, but, like, part of what it means to be human is to be ever learning more. And that's one of the greatest joys is learning more, discovering more, unpacking more. And so, if you again, if you walk into this room and, and you have an idea that you feel like you've been impressed by, God has shared with you, we may not have you preach it, like, immediately, but we're going to listen. We want to learn. We want to grow. And again, this does not mean that, that there, there's not boundaries and that there's not, you know, that just doesn't, I don't see that. And what we want more than anything, even whatever your idea is, what's more important is that you have a spirit of humility, that we have a spirit of humility. 
that we are willing to learn and to grow and to, to discover new things together. So that's what that idea is. And I know maybe that's a little opaque, the connection to creativity, but again, God is a God who is ever unfolding his creative ways to us. And there's ever new ways to, never new things to discover and to, to enter into. And then the last bullet point is that we aim to be a part of a gospel movement that multiplies disciples, communities, and churches. So we're not just here to just serve ourselves. We mentioned this in the first value. We're not here just to serve ourselves. As the gospel grips our hearts, it flows out to others, and it creates more disciples. And those disciples create more communities. And those communities create more churches. And it multiplies and it ripples because God's kingdom is ever-expanding. And so that's our vision, is we want to make sure that, that this movement started very humbly here in this particular location. This movement continues to creatively expand and multiply. And as the years come to us, that there will be more and more disciples, communities, churches that, that go out, because God is a God of creativity. So we've gone over these four weeks, our four values We've gone over the value of disciple-making. How are you doing with that, by the way? There's a little accountability here. Remember that little piece of paper? How are you doing with person or persons that God has laid on your heart? You don't have to tell me right now, but just know that I'm thinking about it. And then the second week, we talked about the value of connection and community. And we want everybody, we get a little taste of it here on Sabbath mornings, but we want everybody experiencing life together throughout the week. That doesn't mean that we all move in together in one big house. That's not what I'm saying. But to the degree that we can these days, like trying to get into the rhythm of life with one another. And then last week we looked at inclusivity and recovery. As we, as we recognize our brokenness, we recognize that God is seeking to restore his image in us, restore the innocence that was lost long ago. And then lastly today, as I said, creativity. God has called us to be so grounded in the gospel that we refuse to control other people and try to sneak up and say, oh, did you hear what they were doing last week in church? I've been there before myself. I've gone to church services and I was just blown away by the music and I went home and I said to my parents, you should have seen what they were doing there. Oh my goodness, they must not love Jesus. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but that's what happens when we're not grounded in the gospel. We're trying to control other people. We're spying on them. We're, we're gossiping about them. But more importantly, God wants us to be so filled with the gospel that we multiply his love. We create beautiful things that point to him. We extend generosity to other people so that they can grow at the Spirit's pace. And so, do you want to continue to be a part of a church that maintains those values? Do you want to be a part of a church that tries to be a community that God can use for his glory?